Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Make Things Better podcast. Today I was joined by Claire Sweeney, the founder of Keep Pace. Claire helps charities with their fundraising and in this episode we discuss the impact of will writing, how companies can better support the charity sector and cultural differences in fundraising around the world. So thanks a lot for listening and I do hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Make Things Better podcast. Today I'm joined by Claire Sweeney, founder at Keep Pace. Welcome on the show, Claire. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay, Tom. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And we're in this new studio, which seems a bit out of my depth in terms of the quality of everything, um, but I'm really enjoying being here. So do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you ended up creating Keep Pace? Okay, so I was thinking about this and Keep Pace originally um, was a, a sort of a freelance marketing agency for for startups and for companies. And it was st- stuff that I did um, in and around my kids when they were little. Um, freelance and remote before it was even a thing. Um, and then things changed for me um, completely in 2012. One of our friend's sons got a life-limiting diagnosis um, and because our friend was a rugby player and had lots of connections, he was determined to um, set up a charity to raise some money so that they could fund a course of, of research to try and find a series of treatments for, for his son. And for the first year, it was all hands to the pump. And I volunteered my time thinking that fundraising was similar to um, marketing and PR. It kind of is and it's not. <laughs> um, but... I volunteered for a year and helped set up a charity um, and then um, Jack's mum took over the reins and has she's since won an OBE actually for the for the charity. It's called Joining Jack and it's um, searching for a cure on, or a set of treatments for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. If ever you see anybody go like that at rugby, that's the JJ Salute, which is part of the charity. Anyway, after working with that team for a year volunteering, I just... I went back into the workplace and got a job in advertising again. Um, but I just didn't have that sense of fulfillment, really, of, of doing something that made a difference and really made something that was great. So I, I walked out of that job and um, got a job in charity. Um, it was a small wildlife trust. Um, halved my wage overnight and also walked from a really slick, agency that had all the technology and was just brilliant at, at understanding everything to an organization that had second-hand second-hand computers and just zero budget for anything um and i was i was shocked i was i was shocked at the inequity of um the the, the technology that was available to charities as opposed to um big marketing agencies and since then i've, I've kind of worked in different roles in different charities um, and the whole point of Keep Pace really is to facilitate an exchange of knowledge and just share what I've learned um, and I, I switched to um, consultancy model specifically for charities but also we still have commercial clients as well so I've still got a foot in both worlds um, and really just if I can do a small bit to share what's available as in terms of best practice to charities then I'm happy doing that 
Yeah, amazing. So it's kind of about transferring some of the things that you've learned and experienced in the kind of private world of marketing and advertising and moving that into the charity like third sector as well right yeah definitely and and learning as well what different organizations do that's a brilliant thing that a consultant can dig so you can work with a, an air ambulance for instance and they'll have certain things that they do just absolutely brilliantly and then you transfer their sort of key campaigns or their messages and and if you work with a local hospice or if you work with um, a, a different kind of organization you can take the very best of what so hospices, for instance, they're brilliant at um, Christmas campaigns and they're brilliant at in memory because that's sort of the space that they operate in. But some of those annual campaigns can also be transferred to other charities. All I do is I, I go and work with organisations, learn stuff and then share it. <laughs> yeah, amazing. And how has it been since you started? It's been, it's been busy. Um, I mean, what I kind of specialise in... Um, and that's happened, I do all kinds of fundraising, but what we've become most well-known for is legacy fundraising, which is promoting gifts in wills. And actually, during the pandemic, that was the only um, type of fundraising that was positively impacted. Events just went, um, individual giving was uncertain. Charities didn't know what to do in terms of how to communicate with their supporters. But... Um, gifts in wills all of a sudden had a had a chance for charities to consider. I think I saw it went up something like sixty percent or so. Just just hugely. Well, in terms of, I mean, I chat to will writers as well, um, and actually this year has been a, a, a super bumper year because people are promoting um, writing a will. Then more people are, are writing a will, and the the stats are astonishing. So last year alone. Only only 6% of people that died last year left a charitable gift in their will. However, in England and Wales, that brought in £3.7 billion for the charity sector. If you include Scottish figures, because the law's a bit different in Scotland, it's estimated that it was £4.4 billion was generated. That's almost a third of charity income for the sector um, and from, from gifts and wills. So if you just get a few more people to include or to think about it as a channel of giving, then it really is worthwhile. Historically, though, um, charities have been a little bit reluctant to go for for legacies just simply because it's felt uncomfortable. And also, if you've got a choice of running an event and getting money in straight away or promoting something that might take between two and 20 years to actually come in because the kind of the average from writing a last will and then somebody dying and then a charity getting it, it, it is on average about six or seven years. But the the figures are just enormous. Do you think there's some kind of reluctance there to kind of promote and advertise legacy fundraising because there is a bit of a taboo around death still? And like, it's an uncomfortable subject to talk about. Yeah, and actually that is... That is changing, I think, it, certainly within the charity sector because people know now how valuable um, it is. But I spend a lot of time um, doing training sessions within organisations to get everybody on board because the fundraisers know that it's it's a really helpful um, thing to be able to promote because of the income that does come in. But then getting clinical teams or retail teams or the broader organisation and trustees, getting them to 
understand that actually when it comes to talking about legacies, it's not negative. Of course it is about death. But but actually it's about possibility and hope and it's about doing something after you're no longer alive that can be greater than the sum of your parts. It, it, it's the most positive and wonderful um, form of fundraising, I think. And also you're not rattling buckets and asking for something now, so it's it's really accessible. Mm, yeah, literally leaving a legacy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that is amazing. That's really interesting. I would never really thought about this so much before and like the figures are so high you know billions so do you think one of the reasons why there may not be so so much like talk about this might be because there is that kind of time lag as well so like six or seven years as you say if that's the average and then if the charities have to kind of maybe prove what they're doing to other organizations or whatnot and then they don't really have the figures right away because it's going to take some time is there something there as well oh definitely um and that was that was always the thing that i was coming up against um a number of years ago um the tide is definitely changing and also because you can write wills online now um the online will providers the, the good ones um will actually let you know as a charity um so long as there's permissions in place when somebody's made a pledge so you can um, find out more um, about your potential pipeline. Um, and that's a really exciting development. Uh, Which ones do you think are good, by the way? Oh, um, well, I really like... Uh, there's, there's, a, <laughs> um, there's a number of, of decent will writers. Um, it's not a regulated industry as, as yet. So I like the ones that have gone the extra mile and... Uh, part of the fundraising regulator and the um the the biggies are um free wills fair will guardian angel and uh, make a will online those are the ones that I've, I've worked quite closely with and i can wholeheartedly recommend all of them they they have slightly different business models um but yes those are the four that i'm i'm most comfortable in saying are, are good what would you say are some of the main challenges that charities face when it comes to fundraising? Um, it's, gosh, main challenges, I would say, and refer back actually to a, a podcast that you did over a year ago with, um, is it Will Francis, the marketing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, was, I actually watched that this morning. Amazing, um, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> and um, yeah, it, it's about being cautious about having capacity you know you might not have the capacity to do as much as you want and that in terms of resource there's a massive shortage of um fundraisers in the sector at the moment recruitment's really difficult um communicating your cause correctly and and full of impact if you meet fundraisers they are fantastic and brilliant and and really good at um articulating what it is they are campaigning for but sometimes that doesn't always translate after it's been through the sort of sanitised lens of of some of the comms, you know, sometimes anyway. Um, so, yeah, capacity, um, caution, um, and getting the communication right. Three Cs. Three Cs. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And do you want to share some examples of the work that you've done at Keep Pace with a few charities? Oh, I'm really proud of something we've just done. We've got um, buses, which are literally 
driving around Kent at the moment with a will writing campaign for a, a hospice down there, um, which has been absolutely fantastic. Well, first of all, we reviewed all their fundraising processes um, and streamlined them and made sure everything was in order. Then we produced um, a, a complete new campaign set for them. Um, then we did some internal training before it launched into the wild. Um, and now, just a few weeks ago, there are literally buses and, and shelters and all kinds of things with this fantastic campaign. And we used um, people that were connected with the hospice rather than actors, um, not only to sort of minimise costs, but because they looked really familiar and people in, in the sort of the organisation were really proud to be part of it. So so that's that's one that I really like. Really gives it that kind of human touch it's like even more authentic that it's actually them as well yes yeah um and but we do all sorts we do um reviews of of teams to help with the recruitment crisis to spot where people can be trained up or where um different kinds of roles could be creatively created so that organizations can function really well um we've got some filming coming up in the next few weeks which i'm looking forward to um, what kind of filming? It's uh, again another another advert for um, it's another hospice actually one in the northwest this time, so so that's good. Um, and just getting to know different teams, um, we've got some some talks as well. Do quite a lot of talks at conferences and and things that kind of thing. Just again to share best practice. Yeah, yeah. And we were talking earlier before we started recording about the. Um the event that you have a, a vision for in a way. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so um, Legacies is something that I've become quite well known for, but because I've always kept a foot in the commercial world as well, um, the whole social value metrics now, if you, in order to win a government contract, which is billions and billions of pounds in revenue um, each year, um, you have to give 10% now. Um, of the the profit of your activities to social value. Now, social value um, was kind of defined a little bit in the Social Value Act back in 2012. There was a new um, guidance published in 2021, and it's made it much more of a requirement now for businesses to give back and to give back meaningfully. It's all quite woolly at the moment in terms of what that looks like. Um, and... I'm really passionate about educating charities to understand how they can position themselves in front of businesses and have a, a sort of a meaningful relationship. It benefits both, doesn't it? Yeah, that's really interesting because just a little bit of a, a plug for the old Hive IT. But um, <laughs> yeah, like I know that we work with like the Department for Education on a really big project. And I think one of the reasons we're able to kind of continually do that work is because we score really highly on social value because we do loads of charity work as well. Like we get to work with amazing charities, which is like such a privilege for us as a company. Like we absolutely love doing that work. But alongside that, it also has this like byproduct, like beneficial sort of impact of helping us sort of continue doing the work with the government as well because it scores high in social value. So yeah, it works like both ways with charities and businesses. So that's a really interesting point. I, I don't think that anybody should be apologetic about that either. Um, what's frustrating me at the moment is that um, there are some organisations in order to win contracts, 
they're putting in their procurement um, stages, they're saying, right, we will employ somebody that's been long-term unemployed or we'll employ an ex-offender or we'll, you know, we'll, we'll do so many volunteering hours. Um, but is that actually meaningful? I've worked at organisations where you've had a bunch of bankers or, or corporates coming in, taking the time away from the charity because somebody has to sort of manage their volunteering. And they're just weeding a garden or painting a wall. And I mean, what does that actually There's no real significant impact. Like, especially because some of these contracts will be worth like millions. And so, you know, having your team just go off and do maybe like half a day of painting a wall, it's not really like deserving of of a million pound contract. Like that's not really the point of it, right? It's like, how do you actually have a significant impact on people in some way or really make a difference to a charity? And the charities think that by accepting volunteers in, they might actually then lead on to a more meaningful relationship. But it doesn't work like that because really the volunteering days has been managed by the HR department and they're ticking a box. Whereas the procurement teams and the social value leads within the company, they're in a completely different department. So what I'm really passionate about is getting charities to understand who they need to pitch to and how to do it. Um, and I think that goes then again back to communication and really understanding the language of of a business um, and say same in reverse, you know, a business going and wanting, thinking that it's doing something by going and painting those walls or weeding those gardens, but understanding actually, no, that's not really what is beneficial at all, but share your skills, do some sort of business or IT, so much digital poverty in the charity sector. It would be so much more of an impact if you're a big IT company and you gave some IT resource as opposed to, you know, doing your weeding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so interesting because we've actually had pretty much this exact conversation in so many meetings at our company recently because, like, there's kind of, like, two sides to it because, like, on one side we're like, oh, we'd love to just go and, like, volunteer at a farm and, like, you know it's nice it's, day, eh? yeah exactly it's like team building it's like gets you away from a screen and it's like we're always doing it and stuff it's like that'd be so enjoyable but then on the other side it's like well are we really using the best of our skills here if we've got a team of like 15 or 20 devs and they're really really good at technology and they can build like really high quality websites and whatnot mm-hmm. it's like is the best use of their time really going off to like a farm and doing that and does the charity even want that i mean what what does the charity actually need what do they really want i mean that's the main thing at the end of the day right is understanding their real needs so yeah i mean to be honest though you know sometimes and um sometimes it's difficult when you're so pressed on trying to raise money and um fund your mission to actually take a step back and have a full understanding of what it is that you could require and that's another thing that i really love as part of what we do at keep pace is to go in and with a fresh pair of eyes see an organisation, look at its operation and see the opportunities. I went into a brilliant cancer care um, charity over in Stockport the other week and they've got a venue space which could be hired out and they've got, I I was walking around and just thinking, right, you could do that, you could do that. And it's just being able to go in and say, look, we can actually make this really work and have something fantastic meaningful wow i really like utilizing their resources and yeah having that fresh perspective completely yeah and if you've not got there are some organizations as well that don't have that dedicated 
fundraising expertise, either because they haven't been able to recruit. Recruitment's really tough at the moment. Um, or it's it's bolted onto another part of the job. Um, and that's why it, it can be really helpful to have that external come in and sort of shake things up a bit and just point out things which are blindingly obvious if if you've got that expertise but might not be as obvious if if that's not been your sort of background yeah yeah definitely and in addition to like that not necessarily being their background it's like i imagine like a lot of charities like they're kind of under-resourced or like they're just like trying to have a positive impact on their users like non-stop and like let's be honest it's kind of a hard world right now in like England especially in like UK you know yeah and uh, I don't know it just it must be hard to be honest with you <laughs> like there must be so many reasons why you know certain things that could be improved are unable to be improved essentially there's a lot of burnout and again a part of my job certainly when it comes to legacies um a, a gift in a will comes because somebody's had a, a connection with a charity and that's that's made them think that an extension of who they are is what that charity's mission is. Um, and I love telling broader organisations that that's, it, it's all of their combined effort that's brought that in. And I, I don't think as a sector we take enough time to congratulate ourselves. I remember speaking to another consultant a while ago and I'd had one of those days where, you know, it was, it was, it was tough. Um, the client was facing some some difficulties and it was yeah it was it was a hard day and this other consultant said to me she said do you know what aren't we lucky haven't we got the best job and I was like right okay um not really sure today tell me why remind me he's like well what we do is we persuade people to give their hard-earned income away for free to causes that really need it and that's that's wonderful we're we're allowing an exchange of wealth which wouldn't take place unless unless there were fundraisers there to do it and it, it does sort of it is quite humbling yeah yeah it's really meaningful work and you know it's making a mass, massive like positive impact you know it's uh it's amazing and i kind of that's the other thing about like just charities in general like I think that's something that England and well, I say England, like UK, Ireland, whatever. Um, I feel like as a nation, we do this really well. Like overall, like we are a very charitable country in some ways. We're 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 a hugely charitable country. Um, in fact, there was a a Japanese um organisation um came over to the UK this summer, um to actually find out what it is that that makes the the British public so charitable because they want to take that um, that ethos and that compassion and that um, obligation almost to give back back to Japan. So only uh, fundraising is in its infancy really over over in Japan, um, and only three percent of the population have actually got wills, and and the whole attitude is that. Um, it shouldn't be the individual, it's the government that should pay for all services. Yeah. But because of um, changing times and strains on resources, charity sector is, is growing over there. But they literally come over to the UK to, to see what wow. we're doing. In fact, um, 
there's a conference in in Paris in um, November, um, and that again they're seeing less and less donations in in France, and they're trying to see why people are stopping donating. But if you look on the Charity Commission in the UK, even though it's cost of living crisis, the year 2022 and 2023, there was four billion pounds extra raised by the charitable sector than there was the year before. No way. In total, I think it was, um, I have to remember my stats, but there's just, I think it's like over 80 billion pounds. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, which is just fantastic. But again, I mean, a, a lot of the fundraising appeals that we're part of, we are seeing that people are being more selective. People are really smart now when it comes to to investing. They really want to know why and what their impact is. And I do think that because companies such as yourself are also giving you time but choosing where, I think that unless the charity sector and the business sector communicate together, um, there's lost opportunity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I suppose your job really is sort of maximising that potential. That's yeah, there. yeah, just facilitating a cross-sector conversation, which is what I keep talking about. There's not enough. Um, I mean, within businesses and within charities, we're really good at siloing ourselves um, and just looking over the shoulder of what somebody else is doing. And it's even harder now because people are remote working. But understanding each other's strengths and weaknesses and, and challenges and seeing if we can help is something that... Um, well, I'm just passionate about promoting. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll move on to the final question then of the podcast. What can people do to make things better? And you can interpret this however you like. I definitely think it's it's all about that communication piece and all about understanding each other's language. Um, I, I was with my daughter at a dental treatment the other day and the dentist was giving us some advice and she was going, yeah, yeah, yeah. The dentist just turned around and said, you're saying yes, but I'm hearing no. And it's it's understanding different people's perspectives, genuinely taking the time to get to understand where somebody's coming from and then finding that common ground. And you can't find that common ground and you can't push your own agenda unless you understand your audience. And that is something that charities are brilliant at doing. They're brilliant at storytelling. Um, so, and I think, as again, there, there shouldn't be inequity between corporations and charities they've both got something to give to each other so yeah make the make the world better by communicating yeah i love that all right and where can people find you um you can find me on my website um which is keeppaceconsults.com you can find me on linkedin um claire sweeney i'm always happy to connect um yeah brilliant all right we'll have some links as well on the uh, video and stuff all right yeah, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you to anyone watching or listening, and I hope you have an amazing rest of the day.